Music marks the times of our lives, reminds us of days gone by, and inspires today's and tomorrow's hits. Hi, I'm Dwayne Hall, and welcome to The Real Deal, spotlighting the best music and the biggest artists of yesterday, providing an insight of just what made them so great. We're proud to present this very special series on a company that not only produced many of the world's best-known artists, but pioneered a distinct sound, changed this country's perception of African-American culture, and also continues to impact and inspire recording artists from all walks of life, all around the world, to this very day. We're talking about Motown, Hitsville, USA. This is part three of a three-part series, giving you an inside look at Hitsville, USA from the inside out. All of this from a two-story house in Detroit, Michigan, known as Hitsville, USA, Motown. Not only will we feature the great music of Motown, but we'll look into the lives of the people who made the music, pursued their dreams, paid their dues, and changed the world. From its founder, Barry Gordy Jr., to superstar Michael Jackson, welcome to The Real Deal's presentation of Hitsville, USA. We've covered a lot of history on Motown, and now it's time we move on to the superstar artists, or shall we say the A-list at Motown. These are the artists that you're surely familiar with and most likely grew up with their music just as I did. Starting off with the first group signed to Motown, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. They formed in 1955 as the Five Chimes, and then later the Matadors. In 1958, they settled on the name The Miracles. Barry Gordy was a successful but still frustrated songwriter at the time when Smokey convinced him to start his own label. Barry established Tamla Records in 1959, signed the Miracles, and by 1960 scored their first million-selling record with Shop Around. In his own words, here's Barry Gordy regarding the beginning and Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. The Miracles were the very first group on Motown, and uh, I have had such great uh, success with the Miracles, not only just them themselves and Smokey Robinson, but the fact that they were responsible for Diana Ross and the Supremes coming to the label, Stevie Wonder, and so many other people. Once Smokey got a hit, everybody started running to Motown. <laughs> so, and Smokey and I have been friends, best friends, for over 50 years. When I became of age, my mother called me to her side. She said, son, you're growing up now. Pretty soon you'll take a bride. And then she said, just because you become a young man now, there's still some things that you don't understand now. Before you ask some girl for a hand now, keep your freedom for as long as you can now. My mama told me, you better shop around. Sad and blue now My 
success of the Miracles paved the way for all future Motown artists. They would go on to serve to be the prototype for other Motown groups to follow. This is what you call creating the wheel. Once the wheel has been created, all you have to do is refine it and duplicate it. In addition to writing their own material, Smokey Robinson and members of the Miracles also wrote many hits for other Motown artists such as The Temptations, Mary Wells, Marvin Gaye, and The Marvelettes. The success of the Miracles actually launched the Motown label. And according to Barry Gordy who stated, without the Miracles, Motown would not have been possible. Reaching the number two spot on the Billboard R&B chart in 1965, here's Smokey Robinson and the Miracles with Tracks of My Tears on The Real Deal. My Tears was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. The success of early Motown flowed from Smokey's pen and Barry Gordy's hard work and leadership. Of course, Smokey Robinson was just getting warmed up. He also wrote the first Charlie hit for The Temptations. Here's the way you do the things you do, and you're listening to The Real Deal. You got a smile so bright. You know you could have been a candle. I'm holding you so tight. You know Do the things you do. The way you do. Oh. 
Temptations took Motown to a whole nother level, but it didn't start out that way. In fact, after recording and releasing eight records between 1961 and 63, it seemed they would never get a hit. For a while around Motown, they were known as the hitless Temptations. <laughs> well, that soon changed though, as they scored their first number one hit in 1965 with My Girl. went on to become one of the most successful groups in music history and by this time Motown was a hit making machine in full stride. Smokey Robinson and the Miracles and of course the Temptations opened the door wide for their sister group the Primettes. Who are the Primettes? You know them as the Supremes. They first hit it big with the song they didn't even like and didn't want to record. Released in the spring of 1964 here are the Supremes with Where Did Our Love Go? You can't. 
neighbor Smokey Robinson for help in scheduling an audition with Barry Gordy. Smokey did just that, but after the audition, Barry felt that they were just too young to be recording artists and advised him to first finish high school. The primates had other things in mind. They showed up at Motown every day, <laughs> every day, until finally they were allowed to provide hand claps and background vocals on songs recorded by Marvin Gaye and Mary Wells. Patience paid off when finally Barry agreed to sign them and gave them a list of names like the Darlene's, the Sweet Peas, the Melodies, the Royal Tones, and the Jewelettes. Ugh. Florence Ballard finally settled on the name The Supremes, a name that Diana initially didn't like. Nevertheless, on January 15, 1961, the group signed with Motown as The Supremes. Here's Diana Ross as she describes early Motown. First of all, it was a, a tiny little house between two funeral homes. <laughs> Barry Gordy, uh, the owner, I think borrowed $700 from his family to start this record company. And um, he was our manager and he was the mentor and kind of the, the director, um, the person that really gave everyone the inspiration at this company. He gave all the new songwriters a chance and and he brought all these different singers in Martha Rees and the Vandella, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles and they would write songs and he would help edit the songs. All of that hard work paid off as the Supremes had four consecutive number one hits and in March of 1965 they did it again. The Supremes on The Real Deal.
Written and produced by Motown's main songwriting team, HDH, or Holland Dozier Holland, the Supremes were the most successful girl group of all time. HDH were hot too, cranking out hit after hit. This was the sound of Young America, the sound that established Motown as the most successful independent record company of the 60s. In their beginning years at Motown, the Four Tops recorded jazz standards for the company's workshop label. Just like the Supremes, they provided background vocals on songs for the Supremes and Martha and the Vandellas. In 1964, Holland Dozier Holland produced an instrumental track but had no artist in mind for the song. Hitting number 11 on the pop charts, the song became the first hit for the Four Tops. Another Motown classic, Baby, I Need Your Lovin' on The Real Deal. Another day, another night I long to hold you tight Cause I'm so lonely represented the epitome of the Motown sound with distinctive melodies and rhymes, call and response lyrics, and the musical contributions of the studio band, the Funk Brothers. Holland Dozier Holland wrote most of Levi Stubbs' vocals near the top of his range in order to get a sense of strained urgency in his vocal performance. In addition, HDH used female background singers, the Adantes, on many of their songs to add a high-end sound to the low harmony of the Four Tops. The Tops were the most successful male Motown act in the United Kingdom, and in the United States, they were second only to The Temptations. Here's their first number one hit, reaching the top of the charts in June of 1965, I Can't Help Myself. I'm Dwayne Hall, and you're listening to The Real Deal.
four tops went on to win many awards during their long and distinguished career, including the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1990, the Grammy Hall of Fame in 1998, and the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 2009. Now here comes the Prince of Motown, Marvin Gaye. Marvin wanted to sing pop standards similar to the styles of Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett. Here he is reflecting back on his beginnings at Motown. I was a bit spoiled. I was a prima donna. I was the president's brother-in-law, and I, you know, I was rather ridiculous about things. I've always had a big e ego problem, you know. And um, I was going anyway in my mind, and I was better than everybody anyway. I seemed to to sort of enjoy being able to say, "I don't have to do that. You guys do that." Yeah, Marvin was a stubborn kind of fellow, all right, and frequently admitted to the fact. Written and produced by Marvin Gaye and Mickey Stevenson and released in July of 1962, Stubborn Kind of Fellow became Marvin's first song to hit the Billboard Hot 100. Off to a great start, hitting the charts with songs like Hitchhike, Pride and Joy, and How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You. In 1965, he had two R&B number one hits with I'll Be Doggone and Ain't That Peculiar. In efforts to broaden his appeal and popularity, Marvin recorded and performed duets with Kim Weston, Diana Ross, and of course, Tammy Terrell. It was a wonderful time for Marvin, and the beginning of a promising career for Tammy. Producer-songwriters Nicholas Ashford and Valerie Simpson provided a string of hits that complemented Marvin and Tammy's vocal style and chemistry. They sounded like they were in love, and in a way, they were. Written entirely by Marvin Gaye and released in December of 1967, here's If This World Were Mine on The Real Deal. If this world were mine, I would place at your feet all that I own. Been so good to me if this world were mine I'd give you the flowers the birds and the bees for with your love inside me that would be all I need if this world 
Terrell passed away in March of 1970, and Marvin Gaye was devastated and overwhelmed with grief. He became totally despondent and disillusioned with the record business and went into a prolonged seclusion. He even contemplated ending his career altogether. This, the country's civil rights struggles, and the fact that his brother returned from the Vietnam War with many horrible stories caused Marvin to internalize his thoughts and emotions and ironically set the stage for his masterpiece. Here's Marvin Gaye discussing this period of time in his life. I think it was around 1969 and 1970 when I stopped thinking so much uh, uh, about my erotic fantasies and I started to think about the war in Vietnam with my brother who used to tell me, write, respond with some pretty horrible stories about the war. And it caused me to look at society and take a hard look at society and something happened with me uh, during that period and I... I felt a strong urge to, um, to write music and to write lyrics that would uh, touch the souls of men. Touch the souls of men. Well, he did just that. On June 1st, 1970, Marvin returned to his ville where he recorded his new composition, What's Going On? Upon hearing the song, Barry Gordy refused to release it due to his feelings of the song being too political for radio. Barry was sure that it would have a negative impact on Marvin's image. Released in 1971, it reached number one on the R&B charts within a month, staying there for five weeks. It also reached the number two spot on the Hot 100 and sold over two million copies. The album became Marvin Gaye's first million-selling album, launching two more top ten singles and two Grammy Award nominations. The album also topped Rolling Stone magazine's list as Album of the Year. Marvin Gaye went on to sign a new deal with Motown worth over a million dollars making it the most lucrative deal by any African-American recording artist at the time. A total masterpiece. I'm Dwayne Hall, and you're listening to The Real Deal. Mother, mother, there's too many of you to cry. Brother, 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 there's far too many of you dying You know we've got to find a way To bring some loving here today Father, Father We don't need to escalate You see, war is not the answer for only love can comprehend You know we've got to find a way To bring some love and get here today Picket lights and picket signs Don't punish me with brutality Talk to me so you can see 
and definitely one of the most successful R&B concept albums of its time. Speaking of concept albums, our next Motown artist created concept masterpieces that to this day still have a profound impact on today's recording artists. It wasn't always that way though for Stevie Wonder. In fact, Stevie was just about to be dropped from Motown when a songwriter and record producer Sylvia Moy came to his rescue. She went to Barry and asked if she could come up with a hit for Stevie, would he reconsider dropping him? Barry agreed. Among the hit singles that Sylvia Moy wrote and or produced with Stevie are Uptight and My Sharia Moore. Whew, a career-saving move. Here's Uptight and Stevie Wonder. Oh, 
Morris was discovered by Ronnie White of The Miracles. It was Ronnie who scheduled and took Stevie to an audition for Barry Gordy at Motown. The year is 1961 and Stevie is 11 years old. Barry was impressed that Stevie could play a wide variety of instruments and very well. Stevie was put in the care of producer and songwriter Clarence Paul who gave him the name Little Stevie Wonder. After Barry Gordy heard what Stevie could really do, he was signed to Motown's Tamla label. It took some time and several records for Stevie to find his niche. Finally, in May of 1963, the live album The 12-Year-Old Genius was released. The single Fingertips from that album became a major hit, reaching the number one spot on both the pop and R&B charts. It seemed like Stevie was growing and developing every day into one of the most prolific and important songwriter, musicians, and producers of all time. At the age of 20, Stevie produced his first single on his own. He hit number one on the R&B charts and stayed there for six weeks. Released in June of 1970, here's Sign Sealed Delivered on The Real Deal. hit at Motown, your ability to do it again was never hampered. In fact, it was encouraged and inspired. Following along the lines of Marvin Gaye, Stevie was inspired to write, produce, and record future hits on his own without the help of staff writers and producers. And just like Marvin, this freed Stevie to be more creative and expressive in his music. He would go on to produce four of the most important and inspired albums in music history. March of 1972 with Music of My Mind. Also in 72, Talking Book. Released in 1973, Inner Visions. And then in September of 1976, the double album, Songs in the Key of Life. Going back into memories of his childhood, here's Stevie Wonder and I Wish on The Real Deal.
Stevie, keep it locked for more and the conclusion of Hisville, USA, right here on The Real Deal.